Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of You Haven't Seen That, the podcast where we watch the films I miss growing up. Uh, my name's Eric, I'm joined as always by Chris. Hi everybody. And, um, and Chris, so we are watching Ghost. I love you. I really love you. Forget what you know. Oh Sam, come on. What's happening? Forget what you think. Sam was not just accidentally killed, he was murdered. Do you have any idea what that sounds like? You're talking ghost here. Forget what you fear. Molly, you gotta go to the police, it was better. You are in serious danger. Believe what you feel. Ghost, rated PG-13. Yeah, yeah, so this is, this is an interesting one where I, I was, when you pulled it out of the hat last week, mm. um, I like then went and obviously prepped all the research and stuff for it and was like, why are we doing this one again? The reason I suggested it originally is literally because of that one scene. Just because of the pottery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The pottery and Unchained Melody. I know nothing else about it except for Swayze and pottery. Yes. Yeah. So it is just one of those things <laughs> that has just seeped into pop culture. It's just so big in that regard. And yeah. It's just like that. What, what year was it? Nine, uh, 1990? Yes, 1990. Well done. Um, so, you know, so that perfect time and it just like, it was in like every TV show when we were growing up. It's yeah. It's been parodied like a bazillion times. Mm. And, and I should say like when I, uh, doing the actual research, I found multiple reasons of like, oh yeah, that's why we're doing this. Yes, <laughs> it's not just exactly. a general. So that was like the or- original point for putting it in, but there's obviously a reason beyond one scene I'm assuming it's actually a decent film underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I accidentally looked at the synopsis. Okay, so yeah. so what so what do you know from? I your... know that I'm much more excited now. Okay. Um, so the, from what I, I I had no idea. I just assumed it was I don't know romance between a guy and a ghost, a girl <laughs> and a ghost. Um, yep. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Like, I had no idea where, where the story... I never thought about it. FYI, I, I kind of want to see the movie where Demi Moore falls in love with a ghost. Yeah, how good would that be? And that's sort of... I never thought about it. And then once I did, I'm like, oh, it's pretty weird. Um, I know, there's, I, there is that one scene in Ghostbusters with Dan Aykroyd. Oh, that so. is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Rewatching that, I'm like... Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think they play it off as like that's he he's having a dream or something. Yeah. But I guarantee that was initially just like in the scene. And it was yeah. like a dance. That's like pure Dan Aykroyd <laughs> and they're like uh can we cut this or like, no. make this acceptable <laughs> I went cross-eyed for that scene <laughs> <laughs> you know that really happened to me once <laughs> that's what this vodka is all about <laughs> I don't think we will ever have a formal relationship a formal contact with any alien species out there especially after 9-11 um but no so I now believe I know uh, that the film is essentially I believe Swayze Mm-hmm. Playing, playing the ghost, uh, gets murdered, I believe, and um, and he goes back as a ghost um, because the movie's called Ghost um, <laughs> to um, to to I believe warn his wife or girlfriend or something along those lines. Okay, or try and prevent it happening to a significant other, mm-hmm. um, which is a much more intriguing plotline to me than girl falls in love with ghost for no particular reason. Yeah, you've actually... Which got, is what I had in my yeah. head. So, from what you surmise now, there's actually stakes. Yeah, there's exactly stakes. I didn't realise there was, like, murder in this. Yeah, that's it. Like, I just yeah. thought it was going to be, like, maybe a, a, a ghost, like a, a restless soul kind of thing, and mm. he finds 
piece and he's got his unfinished business yeah. or he just has to say goodbye or something, something. like that yeah exactly yeah. right i yeah. always figured it was just one of those things but this is much more intriguing now mm. all yeah. right yeah yeah well this was one i i have very fond memories of seeing as a kid like this was yeah. um as i kind of you've been perfect uh, age for it yeah perfect age for it and kind of teasing that like oh yeah there's a reason this is in, like yeah. like the impact that it had and stuff yes. it's um yeah, so I saw, I saw this one quite a bit when it first came out, actually. It was, a, mm-hmm. like, obviously a huge VHS yes, film and thing. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I have not seen it in probably 20-plus years, though. You reckon? Not since you were pretty youthful. Yeah, so not <laughs> since, like, probably a couple of years after it initially came out. Wow. So, yeah, okay. Um, so you saw it quite a few times, you reckon, in succession in a way. Yeah, yeah, like, the, around, times. like, the year or t- a couple of years it came out and things. Because, I mean, yep. Swayze was the man post-Roadhouse and oh, things. Yeah, I know. Um, and yeah, so this is him trying to do something a little different, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and yeah, I mean, I was a, I'm a big Whoopi Goldberg fan as well. Like I grew up on yeah. things like Jumping Jack Flash and mm-hmm. obviously Sister Act. And Sister Act's the only thing I really saw her in growing up mm. and that was just great. Yeah. So it was like, oh, this is, it was an easy go-to and it yeah. was one where like my mum would also love and things. Yep. So it's like that whole like, eh, hey, let's just rent that again. Across the generations. Exactly. Yep. And it had the cool like, you know, murder and violence and <laughs> ghosts and supernatural. It has like all the stuff like a young boy would actually be like, there's cool. Yeah. There's enough to keep you interested with a strong mm. story and performances around it perhaps. Yeah. But well, I guess what I'm going to find out. Yeah. It's going to be interesting for me because I have all I, all I can remember is like a couple of key scenes and moments. Yep. Otherwise I don't really remember much at all. So no. it's, it's going to be, That'll be, yeah. You'd yeah. be like, Oh yeah, that's right. That scene and that scene. <laughs> so for some reason I just have images of city of angels in my head. Oh, no, it's not the Nick like, Cage. Yeah. And, uh, have you ever, that, have no. you ever seen it? No, I've seen the Goo Goo Dolls clip. Yeah, so, like, yeah, so you've so seen, seen it. it. <laughs> <laughs> point, yes. um, so for some reason, like, whenever I think of Ghost, because I don't think I've ever seen any Im- scenes or images besides the pottery scene. Yep. Um, for some reason, it just sort of merges with City of Angels, because I know that was like 97 or something, wasn't it? Okay. Like, yeah. And they just kind of merge together in my mind, even though I know... As that kind of just general, there's something yeah, weird, like ghost, otherworldly happening ghostly in Ghostly guy in love with a, a live human woman. Yeah, okay. And are you thinking there's going to be special effects, anything kind of like to that extent with this? Or you think it's going to be know, more like, of a simplistic... you mentioned like guns and murder and violence, my excitement level leapt up again. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't even thinking of that. Yeah. Um, so no, no, I, I, I have no idea. Maybe we'll get some sweet... Sweet ghostly CGI. <laughs> it's not essential. You're not quite expecting, say, that a David Lowry film from last year, Ghost Story, where it's just Casey Affleck with a sheet over him <laughs> wandering oh, no, around. I'm expecting a little more than that, but yeah. that would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Recommendation: Watch a Ghost Story, everyone. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying that. Yeah, I still haven't watched that. So, mm. well, should we just jump in to uh, see what happens to Mr. Swayze? Yeah, let's do it. Yes, yeah, so that was Ghost. It was Ghost. That um, was. And um, I never thought it would be about money laundering. Yeah, you didn't <laughs> expect like banking espionage to no. be like the main crux of that the, film. The pivoting, like the, the pivot of the film. Yeah. <laughs> There's too much money in these accounts. Too much money? That's impossible. It's an interesting one. Like that's, yeah. it. like 
obviously, as I'd said in the intro, been like at least 20 years since I'd seen mm. the film. I knew that Carl was the bad guy, like his friend at, the, yep. that he, at work, but I forgot all of the money laundering and like the Cayman oh. Islands accounts yeah, and all of yeah. that. So that, and it's, so it was almost kind of like watching it with fresh eyes again. And it's like, it's a totally engaging film and yeah, really like, good story. It, it actually, I mean, there were definitely some moments where it was for me falling apart, but then it brought itself back together. Okay. What's, okay. Let's, so let's go into these. General synopsis for everybody is you've li- really only got four characters in the whole film. Mm-hmm. You've got um, Swayze and his girlfriend, who's, who is Sam, and his girlfriend Demi Moore, who is... Molly. That's right. And you've got Carl, who is acted by... Uh, Tony Goldwyn. That guy. <laughs> and Whoopi Goldberg playing um, Oda Ray. Oda May. Oda May. Oda May Brown. Oda May Brown. And it's basically around them. And... Um, Swayze and Carla, Wall Street guys, and Carl's being dodgy. Yeah, they. I guess they work for just a, a bank. A, a bank. A big enough bank. Yeah. And um, and then Swayze gets accidentally killed in a robbery gone wrong, but a planned one by Carl mm. um, to get some codes because Sw- Swayze's going to um, maybe expose him by mistake. It's an interesting scene where they, they do add in that line from Carl of that it was an accident, like that he, mm. like Swayze wasn't supposed to die. You kill the man. You're supposed to steal his wallet. Was that a joke? Man, I did you a favor, man. That was a freebie. And it makes you, like, you know, not sympathize with Carl, but be like, oh, yeah, this is just, you got yourself into a situation you, you didn't want. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of makes you, yeah, helps him get untethered towards yeah, the end. Yeah, because he does untether, doesn't he? Mm. Like, um, I don't know, I never liked him from any point of the film. Um, but he, he definitely, like, progressively gets sweatier, less, and his tire gets lower and lower. Yeah. And his dependency on cocaine <laughs> exponentially rises. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he, by the end of the film, he does look like a guy who's been on a three-day coke bender. Yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah, he's feeling it. <laughs> and losing control of the situation. But I, I, have, I have a feeling that is, like, the, the writers, the writer and director very specifically going, like, if... If Carl was just a straight-up m- guy who, like, planned and orchestrated mm. the murder of Swayze, yeah. that makes him just... You, you, that's not fun to play. It's not fun to, like, no. kind of bounce off. He, that just makes him cold, calm, psychopath. Yes. Whereas this, like, the unhinged untetheredness of him is kind of awesome. Yes. Yeah, he's just a guy who works in finance, who sold his soul a little bit and got found out and is now in a lot of trouble, and he's not equipped to deal with that. No, no. <laughs> and uh, especially if there's a ghost pushing him around. Oh, my gosh, ghost is tripping him up. <laughs> Who's doing that? Who's doing that? But, yeah, sorry, you were saying the, the couple yeah. of points that it came on, like, kind of... Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's already... It's it's quite well written, but at the same time, like, it's pretty cheesy in a heap of ways. Like, the oh, shirts yeah. are off so many times, and we'll talk about that. Oh, like, we, yeah, just, we can't not. <laughs> but, but ultimately, like, the story's pretty good. But then once again, a shirt-off moment between Carl and Molly, where he just, like, starts hitting on her for we'll, just no particular we'll, reason. We'll get to the coffee scene. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, at that point, I'm like, oh, this movie has officially become a bad movie in my eyes. Mm. Um, but then... Swayze met his ghost demon sensei and oh, learned how to fight. Subway ghost! Get off my train! Awesomely Subway played ghost. by uh, Vincent Schiavelli, who um, 
People might know he is a regular in Milos Forman films. Mm. So he's in Once, uh, One Full of the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, Amadeus, yep. uh, Man on the Moon, um, People vs. Larry Flint, like all, pretty much all of Milos Forman's American films. This great, awesome character actor. Yeah, I've only seen him in Cuckoo's Nest, I think. Mm. Although I still recognise him. Yeah, he's <laughs> that guy. Yeah, like, yeah. that character actor. So, so um, yeah, and then, then, like, the movie started rolling again and it just sort of got back to its... I don't know. Mission? Yeah, mission. Because yeah, that scene with Carl, the coffee... Like, screw it. Let's just jump into the weirdest scene in the whole film. The weird. Co- shirtless weird. coffee scene. It's a bad scene. Because <laughs> it's... You don't know the motivation of Carl. No. Um, for those that haven't seen the... Like, uh, we'll, or, you know, it's like me, it's been a while. Carl comes around to essentially find out what Molly knows about what's happened. And mind you, Carl is Swayze's best mate yeah. basically essentially killed him by mistake in a way through his hitman and um and there's never any sign that he's like a creep who's into molly no you at all that's not the point of this no. yeah um so he, he wasn't doing it because he was secretly in love with molly or anything no, like that he's yeah. i don't think he was sleezing onto her to get information or mm. anything like that but he just um anyway he goes around and starts talking to her and then it's clear that he obviously wants to get more than talking to her. Yeah. And purposefully spills a coffee on his shirt just so he can take it off. Yeah. And then yeah. puts the moves on, Dem- on Demi Moore while she's crying. And it's just uncomfortable it's and weird. weird. And then it's just another one of those like unnecessary shirt off scenes. I'm going to call it that because look, I don't care that much. But it, it, it takes the film away from being, say, fairly well written to into Fifty Shades of Grey territory, like, let's just get it, another shirt off. It's just a weird, weird, yeah, weird scene. it's just unnecessary to do it, at least that part. Yeah, well, I get I get why the scene exists, yes. and it's because of where the scene ends, where Sam, Swayze is a ghost, is watching all of this scene and is equally as perplexed as the audience. Yes. <laughs> his, his facial expressions are fabulous. You, you said he was pulling out his best Kevin Costner Waterworld performance. Oh, yeah, <laughs> Costner channeled that. <laughs> um, but it's... At the end, watching it, he gets frustrated and angry and manages to knock over the framed photo, which then, like, that, it's like, that scene then is the catalyst for him then knowing that he can manipulate objects yep. and then has to go get Mr. Miyagi to buy <laughs> Subway exactly. Ghost. So, it, it, like, it serves a purpose, it but it's, you could have got it there in a different yeah, way. I think so. He could have just come and sat next to her and put his arm around her. Especially like, like the a slightly more standard route. No, not even that. <laughs> like not even a romantic route because by doing that you're kind of diminishing Molly like kind of making her just like an easy simple person yes. who can be manipulated yeah. with by him taking his shirt off. Yeah. It, it's not, gr- not what she is. Exactly. She's a strong independent artist. That's the pro- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with the scene. It, it kind of diminishes her as much as it diminishes the like the film altogether. That's a very good point. Um, I mean, I guess you needed something that stirred up Swayze enough that he had to unleash mm. his emotion. Yeah. Which, as we learn from ghostly Mr. Miyagi Sensei, he, he, um, you could you have him your... like lying or doing something like evil, like or yes. yeah, something like so yeah. It needed to stir up Swayze's emotions so that you could then later on link that you have to channel your emotions as a ghost to manipulate the environment. You could have him like being kind of just sleazy and scummy and like talking about the murder and or something like you know, yeah. uh, and then like he goes and puts his hand on her shoulder to like comfort her or something, and he's like, "Get your hand off!" Like you know, yep. essentially what the scene ends and up he... becoming, like exactly. 
but yeah, you didn't have to go and create what is one of the weirdest scenes in a film that I've seen at least this year. It is weird. And it I've is. seen some weird movies yeah, this yeah, year. Sure <laughs> um, but that was, yeah, that was a really odd moment and out of touch with the rest of the film. Mm. But, um, I, but, but it, well, except every other shirt off scene in the film. Yeah, I mean, well, that is the opening shot of the film is them bashing down drywall with no shirts on. <laughs> yeah, for some reason. So they've bought their loft apartment. Yeah. Which clearly hasn't been inhabited for a long time. Despite the fact that it appears to be in Manhattan, I feel like it probably would have been inhabited. No, it's downtown. I can't believe I'm doing this. What am I doing down there? I never come downtown. I hate downtown. It isn't downtown in Manhattan? Probably. I'm not that familiar <laughs> with the geography. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. Um, but it feels like some... Anyway, it's a looks like a haunted house, basically. When yeah. they're in that opening scene, their shirt's off. Smacking stuff with sledgehammers. There's exposed metal everywhere. (laughs) But they have the proper, like, face masks on, so it's fine. Yeah, face masks. So they may not breathe in a much asbestos. They'll just get it all over their skin. Yeah, all over their skin. And um, they'll probably get tennis as well. But otherwise, they're probably fine. Mm. Um, So, yeah, that is pretty funny. But that being said, like, it's like, I get it. Like, the the, the shirtlessness. Like, I'm not excusing the coffee scene. No, that one's its own little thing. Yeah. But all the other shirtless scenes, I I get. Because they're trying to promote this film, especially, like, early on, before you really know what the film is and what it gets, it turns into... It's the romantic, like, the ghost yes. who's still in love. Like, it's, it's bringing in the horny housewives. Yeah. That's what they're doing. And it's, it's like, good on you. You know who your audience is, seemingly. Or, like, this mm. is, you're projecting who your audience is and yeah. you're giving that to them. Fine. And, and that actually does take me to the ultimate love story arc. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that final moment when um, Swayze is... Uh, it's all sort of more or less resolved and Swayze is now a visible ghost about to ascend to heaven... It's quite touching. It is, right? Like, it's that's solid. The thing. Like, the, these two people had a life planned out together. They had all the little quirks. You knew about a lot of them. They had the little ditto moment. They had enough moments that had been shown early. The penny for luck. The penny. Like, enough things that more than just they're in love. Like, there are enough little bits that you, you as a viewer are sort of um, can attach to their relationship and, and picture it. You get a sense of who they are, what their relationship what is like. What they share. Yeah. And, um, and how tough that goodbye would be. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Um, and that's, um, that's the thing. They've actually written a, a well, a, a good relationship, I think, yeah. for, it's, for that style of film. It's an earned ending, like an emotional arc that is actually earned. It's, it's the two moments in the back third of the film. It's the lifting the penny up and yep. placing it in her palm, and he says it's for luck. Like, that's, that's an earned, like, you, can, you got me tearing up a little bit there. Yeah, and, and then the finale. It's like, yeah, you've, you've put in the hard work. Considering they only like talk face-to-face in the movie like three or four scenes. Yeah, it's like <laughs> with, he's dead within like ten minutes yeah, of this movie. Yeah, he's gone pretty early. <laughs> um, Which, so, again, is a smart writing thing. The movie is called Ghost. Yeah. You want him to be a ghost he, pretty he quick. He has to be a ghost quickly. Yeah. Um, so to be able to build up a relationship where they really have to communicate <laughs> at mm. least a bit. And um, that's actually... Oh, sorry to jump in mm. there, but like... The point where he gets killed, it's them having an argument about their communication as well, which yes. is like, oh, God damn. Yeah, yes, exactly right. <laughs> and then that ties in nicely for the little communicating through somebody else. Mm. <laughs> so um, it's, a, it's a really well-written film. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, one quick thing, like when the opening credits and stuff were happening, it came up saying uh, directed by Jerry Zucker. Mm. Um, and you're like, I was like, does that look familiar to you? <laughs> yeah, isn't he comedic director or something weird? Yeah, this is our second film 
by Jerry Zucker. Yeah, didn't he do um, something gross? Airplane. Ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir, I've never been up in a plane before. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and then he went on to do... Um, naked Gun? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so. Uh, this is, yeah, from the director of <laughs> Airplane and Naked Gun, okay. his ghost. He, um, yeah, wanted to shift and try just more dramatic. Uh, before this, he'd made a film called Ruthless People mm -hmm. with Bette Midler and Danny DeVito. Yep. Um, less of a kind of screwball, weird, that kind of farcical comedy stuff that yep. he, they, you know, was known for. Yeah. Um, and more of just a straight kind of crime comedy. Yep. Um, and then after that, Mo was like, no, I want to try drama. And I guess that's maybe why Ghost had some moments where we were genuinely laughing. Yeah, it's, oh, and that's mainly due to Whoopi. Whoopi's good. Yeah. Oh, but, um... <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that. But I think, like, it, well, uh, the, the writer of the film, actually, mm -hmm. um, well, I want to get his name right. Um, yeah, in an interview with the LA Times, it was uh, Bruce Joel Ru uh, Rubin, is the writer. Yep. He revealed that he was really skeptical and didn't want uh, Jerry Zucker to no. direct the film. Um, because of, you know, obviously the more comedic slant and things to yeah. it. But then uh, his original two choices, he wanted either Milos Forman or Stanley Kubrick. Whoa, hello. Like, yeah, Good luck. Sure, sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> Every writer wants yeah. like a genius for their film, sure. <laughs> um, but the two of them actually ended up meeting and kind of hitting it off. And yep. uh, Zucker helped him on subsequent rewrites, and they did nineteen drafts of the script together. Like wow. they really worked they, on it yeah, to okay. get the structure that would suit them both and both be happy with. And them. be and I think by working so collaboratively and doing so much work on it. It shows in the film, like everything is wonderfully set up and kind yes. of pays off. I can't think of many moments that weren't set up. Some mm. are signposted fairly obviously. Um, one that I thought might be a bigger thing actually was Swayze's chair. Sam, what's this chair doing here? What do you mean? I love that chair. I know you love this chair, but we discussed uh, this. You and... know, I've had it forever. I mean, when I watch TV, I... Sit in it. Yeah, th that's I think just a nice romantic, like a nice yeah, I, I thought signifier they might of their relationship. Come back into it later on. Um, like sh even like show her sitting in the chair, like missing or him or him something. sitting in it, and that's how she knows he's there or something. Like yeah, that. for yeah. his presence because it's his chair, mm. and he talks about it. His, anyway, that was the only thing I. I You're around, right. Yeah. I, in my mind, I'm like, oh, I bet you that'll come back, and it didn't. So mm. good on your smarty pants, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um. I, I want to say, like, yeah, I think Zucker did an incredible job directing this film, actually. Yeah, some of the scenes are... Like that um, train chasing and jumping... Oh, yeah, when he's trying to find um, uh, Vincent Schiavelli, yeah, yeah. To, to train him, yeah. Yeah, like, that's a cool scene where he goes running down the subway and just leaps onto a train, and the transitions <laughs> and stuff are, are good. But, like, but yeah, and as, as you said, the kind of jumping from, like, the lighter scenes with, like, when we first introduced to Mae Brown, and yep. then... You know, to the actual, like, you have us tearing up at the end. Like, mm. yeah, he, he balances tone brilliantly. And, yeah, yeah, I think it's... Particularly since Carla just been dragged to hell by demon spawn. Uh, after, as you said, a Suspiria-style death. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you want to know the, the weird sound that the, uh, the shadow things are making? Pretty creepy. It is the sound of a baby crying, slowed down and played in reverse. Oh yeah, okay. How creepy is that? That's a good choice. It's <laughs> yeah. a simple choice as well. Yeah. You're like, just what's something unsettling? Unsettling, and you basically got a 
I think that's a great move. As soon as you change the pace of any sound, it already sounds weird. And like, then you reverse it. Yeah, and then you yeah. flip it as well. And um, <laughs> something that's already a pretty strong noise. Mm. Well, there's a lot of like little subtle things throughout the film that I really, really enjoy. And it's like I, I first no I'd never noticed it really as a kid um, mm. watching this. But uh, Swayze makes absolutely no noise, like physically. If you notice, they're, they're in a loft yeah. apartment and everyone, it's like really pointed out that everyone makes really loud footsteps on that hardwood. Yep. There's no noise whenever Swayze's moving around. That's pretty cool. Well done sound editors. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's like winter in New York or like, you know, get, or getting it, it's autumn in New York. Mm. Everyone else has like breath. Swayze doesn't. No breath. That's a good little touch. Yeah. And they managed to do that by having him chew on ice before oh, like yeah, calling clever. action. <laughs> it's like really simple, but it's like... Well yep. done, film. <laughs> yeah. I also, um, I, I loved his um, obviously recognisable red shirt, so he sort of stood out. Mm. But it also made me think, like, you know, they'd just come from seeing Macbeth or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. I was like, man, how cool would it have been if they'd been at the opera Batman style and he was in, like, a tux the whole film? <laughs> uh, Spent the whole film in just a totally different outfit. But no, his, um, it was just a nice, simple, easy one. And mm. um, but that's a really good little... Film, um, oh, I don't know, creations are little, just little simple techniques. It's a little practical effect that you don't know. It doesn't leap out at you. Yeah. It's just a good little attention to details. And it's like you started noticing how it's uh, Swayze would like sneak into doors while they're still open yes. just so they don't have to CGI him it's going like through every door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like little smart just way workarounds and the film's yeah. full of it and it helps. Because you get tired of him walking through doors all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I loved that at the beginning you were just like, what are, what are the rules going to be? Because yes. <laughs> like, it was pretty clear that I'm like, okay, there's going to be ghost rules here. <laughs> yeah, there, there, always, there has to be ghost rules. There has to be ghost rules. Um, so, yes, you could go through a door, but probably the good thing they did was it's got to be like an intention. So, I guess that's why maybe he doesn't fall through floors. That's, yeah, that's actually a really good one. And you get those weird, wonderful, like, POV shots as he's moving through yes. a person and, like, those the door. Those were cool, actually. Particularly, mm. like... Just the, the editing and the technology that was available then that you'd have to, like, when, when that um, hospital orderly work, walks through him the first time, it's yeah. just, like, blood cells and stuff. It's, like, really early CGI as well. Yeah. This is, I think, uh, a year before Terminator 2. So it's, Sounds like, about right. yeah, yeah. It's, it's, they're doing good work. Yeah, it. It, was, it was pretty good. Like, I mean, obviously, you watch it now, you're like, well, compared to today's technology, that's not as good. It's, like, those weird optical effects where, like, he's in, there's two Swayze's in the same scene, or you can tell yeah. he's going to interact with something because he's got, like, that weird kind of the halo, bl- sort of halo around yeah. him, and you're like, ah, okay, yeah, you're plugged in afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, But the, even the editing around when he manipulates objects and stuff or punches people in the face yeah. was actually done pretty well because... Like, once again, I don't understand how ghost physics work in terms of punching someone in the face. I don't care. Um, <laughs> Vincent Schiavelli told us, you just got to feel it. You just got to feel it, and that's it. You want to move something, you got to move it with your mind. You got to focus. You hear what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but I guess that also, you know, like, okay, so that's why he's not floating about. So, no, they, they just set up, like... Look, we don't need a lecture on what the rules no, of ghosts no. are. <laughs> and it's that, and you get those, like, uh, the, when going into someone as well, you get, like, that wonderful little uh, explanation ghost for, like, the one yes. exposition for one line. Now, you should know better than that. Jumping in the bodies wipes you out. Cool. Okay. Thanks, random extra, for that info. But, That's And then we'll move on. But probably the best thing was, that was, like, the only line of exposition explaining... 
the consequences of ghost actions. So it was yeah. all sort of just done through... He's learning it learning as he goes it. and... And showing it. Yeah, and us as the audience are kind of going along with this journey with him. Yeah, yeah like that weird... Inf- like, this is what I mean. It's, so it's well set up, good story mm. structure. Like, he's in the hospital and he meets the old man ghost initially. Yes. And then after that, you've got then the first interaction with Subway Ghost. Yep. And where it plants the seed of you can manipulate your environment. breaks the window and stuff, yes. Yes. And then it's like, just plants all these things so you can know it's going to come back. Or when it comes back, you're like, oh, yeah. An old man talks about, you know, they don't always go up to heaven. Yeah. Kind of thing. So that little seed's in there as well. Mm. And he says, doors are tricky, but you'll get the hang of it. Yep. Like, it's it's all, like, just... Little little seeds planted, and then yep. you'll figure it out along the way. And there's enough of it that you don't sit there going, oh, why can he suddenly do that? Why can he do this? Yeah. Like they're just exposed at enough time, so you don't have to sit there criticising ghost physics. Exactly. <laughs> and it, it's the film is clever enough to not linger or over-explain. It's just yeah. like, it's not important at the end no, of the day. <laughs> exactly right. Don't focus on that. Mm. Um, um, How do you find Swayze in this? Because this is... Uh, I think in the whole arc of the show, this is our third uh, Swayze is, film. Um. And across across our podcast, I'm developing quite a liking for Swayze. Yeah, but um, look, he's not a dramatic actor in this one. I mm. don't think. I don't think you like particularly when you have an ex- someone like Whoopi with so much expression. Her role's different, I know. Yeah. Um, but Swayze's like moments of dis. He, he, it was more overacting rather than subtlety, I guess. Yeah. Um, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, I. But I also didn't go, man, what a well-done job. I was just yeah. like, yeah, okay, cool. Swayze's a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go. Yeah, he, yeah, he's fine. He's fine, exactly. He didn't, like, shine to me. I didn't I, go, like, oh. I think he's well. a very likable guy, and that's what you need in the role. Yes, he Not seems necessarily... pure at the start. Yeah. And Swayze conveys that. The strong performances need to come from... Um, Molly and Oda May. Definitely. Like they're, they're, they're your anchors in terms of performance. And for Sam, you just needed someone who was likeable. Yes. So the audience feels bad that they're, they're dead. So it yep. works having movie star Patrick Swayze. You've got to feel his pain and his frustration at not being able to intervene. Yeah, which he does. It's very physical in the way that he does yeah. it, but it, it's, it's believable. He and punches good. out his anger and into nothing. Oh my God. I, yeah, you could montage to moving pictures for yes, this. Yes, you could. Yes. <laughs> Um, so no, exactly. I think he was fine. Mm. And, um, he actively, um, sought out this role actually. He? Yeah. He, cause this so is this coming... chasing a yeah. different type of role. Yeah. Or? It was hot off the heels of a roadhouse and next of kin. And yeah. he was just kind of sick of being, he, he didn't want to get pigeonholed as drum, as action, as punchy man, as, as throat rip guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, he wanted to like show that he could act cause he like, Started off like in, um, he's in like the Outsiders and things like mm. Coppola's Outsiders. Like he started off kind of, and I mean Red Dawn's actiony, but yeah. you know he he wanted to show his range. Yeah, and good on him. On. Yeah, you take on a challenge and go for it. And, and um, I mean, uh, somewhat similar to Dirty Dancing, I guess, or it's like getting back into that style of yep. role. So yeah, but yeah, no, he's 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 just likable and charismatic, um, and yeah, I think that's enough. And mm. then. Um, and then I guess uh, Demi Moore is probably worth talking about. Definitely. Well. Um, she, she, I think, has the hardest role yes, in the whole film. Really tricky role to play. She just has to play this, like, confused, heartbroken person. Yeah, I wrote down that she's either constantly... She's constantly either crying, having just cried, or on the verge of crying yes. in every scene after the first ten minutes. Yes, because I realised 
because at the start, yeah, I was saying how much she looks like, um, is it Rodriguez from Aliens? Vasquez. Vasquez, that's right. Um, who's like got that short hair, badass kind of thing. And um, yeah, so Demi Moore has short hairstyle. I'm particularly starch. She has a lot of gel in the hair and that hair's up. Yeah. After Sam's dead, no gel, it's all flat. It's all going flat, yeah. yeah. And the clothes as well have and started the clothes to have change. Just, just calm down and it's, she's just a bit more of a subtle palette, I guess. Mm. Um, and yeah, she has to play this... I mean, at the end, she can't talk to Sam, so her only communication with him is through Whoopi Goldberg, who she doesn't really trust after she finds out she's been a con artist anyway, but then she's also confused because she clearly told her stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's like, um, yeah, just totally messing with her head. Yeah, and then you got Carl being a weird sleazebag. Who um, just gets progressively sweatier and sweatier yeah. and weirder and weirder. Yeah. So, um, and, but she, she manages her tears well. Very well. Yeah, there are so many moments where she, like, looks up and the tear perfectly rolls down. Yeah. Like, she's... She's nailing it. And she's not overdoing it. Yeah. Like, it's just, she, yeah. And it, it sounds weird that, like, we're, we're commending her on her performance because she could cry. Mm. But There's so much but, crying she could overdo it. Or she, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but what, what I'm kind of meaning with that is you believe her. Yeah. That's, like, that in that very tough, like, it's not easy to cry on film, but it's... Oh, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is when she does it, which is a lot, you believe it every time mm. like it's it's the whole performance she does a really great job it's consistent I think. it's really consistent yeah this was kind of the first thing that really made her kind of blow up huge like yeah. she'd been she'd had like a lot of roles prior to this but this was like her real like big coming out kind of yeah. hey hollywood we've got a new giant movie star here yeah okay and I, yeah i think it is just it's not because she's attractive or anything like that it, it is because of her performance she yep. yeah she is actually a good actress and I think she's what someone that's kind of fallen by the wayside in later she's years. She's for a while, didn't she? Yeah, and um, I think, yeah, she. I wouldn't mind seeing her show up and have a bit of a, a resurgence almost. I remember years ago she had a resurgence, so to speak, in Charlie's Angels. Like <laughs> oh, that. yeah. She came full, back as like... Full throttle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, like the bad angel or something like that, the one who went rogue years ago. Sorry, Charlie. I don't take orders from a speaker box anymore. I work for myself. Well, your boss sucks. Yeah. And that was, I remember at the time, there was like, Demi Moore's back. I'm like, yeah, and Charlie's Angels. Yeah, not something, you know, the film directed by Mick G. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't even get Bill Murray back. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't remember after that if she really had anything to go through. But, um, yeah, like, she's a big blank spot in me, actually, for IMDb. Like, my inner IMDb, I'm just like, a pretty I don't powerful know. search engine. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. She's just no, kind I, of around, I'm guessing. But, but um... But then on top of that, Whoopi was awesome. Yeah, this, it's... She balances her comedic power with being quite straight. And just like you said during it, where they position Swayze so it's never eye level and things like that. She, she has to act opposite Swayze but never look him in the yeah, eye. Yeah, and have to consciously have, this man is not here. Mm. Like, so it's, it's great. Yeah, it's essentially having uh, a, a, part, a scene partner who you cannot look or engage with but have to deliver an insanely good performance to. Yeah, she is very, very good. Mm. Um, across I, a lot of different, like, serious moments and mostly comedic... Well, not mostly, but large number of comedic sort of moments. And, yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, obviously, That's that, is, that is her strength. Like, yeah. she's obviously coming from the world of stand-up comedy and yeah. things. 
um, had transitioned into acting and then... So very well cast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that being said, she had had experience with dramatic acting before. Yeah. She was star- She starred in The Colour Purple for yes. Steven Spielberg. Because that was only like a year or so before. Oh, uh, that was 86? Uh, oh, is that far before? A- 85, okay. 86, I want to say. Yep. So, yeah, she had had a, like solid experience with dramatic mm. material before, but she just, I think this is the film that, like, it, it's her film, really. Like, yeah. for, for me. Like, yeah, in terms of a performance that you walk away remembering. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely the most memorable performance. Not just because she's, let's say, the most entertaining. Larger than life character yeah, things. Like, which is, it's easy to walk away from some films and go, oh, I like the funny one. Um, but she also has subtlety to her and things like that too. So um, Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah, it's She a- made it fun and balanced out the others without going... Over the top. Over the top, which yeah. you can easily do. It's that. It's a weird thing that I keep going back to, but it's it's a grounded, believable performance yes. in a film called Ghost. Yeah, <laughs> and that's like the kind of to everyone. It's mm-hmm. like, well done. Like you're handling this with such sincerity and nailing it. Yeah, maybe they didn't know the title was going to be Ghost. Yeah, I'm, I I think they did. Like I've not been able to find a single like that would normally be something that would pop up. Yeah. In the research. But yeah, no, this is just... Just always been Ghost. Just always been Ghost. Yeah. Um, was there anything else? Like, what's... what's... Uh, I, I, I did just make a little note. Like, when um, Swayze was in doing his, his ghost training in mm-hmm. the subway, and he was learning how to, like, flick bottle caps and stuff, and then you heard the rumbling of the train as, like, he started to get sort of control of his skills. I really, for a second, wanted him to have his, like, Stranger Things 11 moment where he, like, flips a truck over him. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like all of a sudden, just bam. Bam, it just stops a train. <laughs> that would have been sweet. Yeah, that would have been amazing. I don't know, just the way that scene was building, I'm like, I feel like he's about something, to stop a train. Something big's going to happen here. And he just flicks a bottle cap. Yeah. Um, but that was still pretty cool. Um, I want to bring up Stephen Root. Oh, just, of course you do, yeah. Just because any opportunity to bring up Stephen Root is amazing. <laughs> um, I was so happy to see, I'm happy to see him whenever he shows up in a film. But um, he, I mean, he, he wasn't in it. That much. I mean, anyone could have played the role. Yeah. Really. Uh, well, I, I looked up on IMDb, and this is, he's a man who has like over two hundred and thirty credits. Yeah. And this, I think, is like number five. This okay. is like real early Stephen Root. Early Steve. It's it's Babyface Steve. And yeah. Oh yeah. Particularly when you. But it's like that weird thing of it is such a weird small. He's I, th- I think credited as police sergeant. Yep. Like just random thing. But it's I was like, damn man, you're committing. Like he's yep. really good. <laughs> But it's funny, like, like oh, I said Babyface. I'm like, well, that film was, like, 29 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing as, like, Sam Rockwell popping up in the Ninja Turtles oh, movie. No, You're just like, oh, all these, like, amazing character actors. And they're like, we're getting to see all their really Early first stuff. Roles. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, the ones who are big now. Yeah. Uh, I, I just love Steven Root. So. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've seen him in a few things, and um, he's never let me down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually, got to mention the pottery scene. Haven't brought it up. Yet. I know. I was just about to, actually. I was so shocked that that happened within the first five minutes. Yeah, so were you initially expecting it to be Ghost Swayze coming in behind yes. her and yeah, that was like she's not she aware of his yeah, presence or something? she was going to feel it or something like that. Okay, That's yeah. how I was envisioning it. And I was envisioning it at like the end of the second act or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like a nice pivotal kind yeah, of... Yeah, discovery moment. Mm. No, it's just a, they, they like first to First five minutes. First five minutes they like to get all clay and sexy it's so it's the most un, like having not seen it for ages it is the most unsubtle scene ever I know it's <laughs> the over the head shot with her like 
essentially <laughs> fisting <laughs> into the pottery. It's nuts. And yeah. it's so phallic, and it's... it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she's not wearing pants or underwear doing it. It's, it's like they directed the first five to ten minutes of the film, like, all right, no shirts, super sexy, let's get everyone involved. Like I said, let's the horny housewives. Get them excited, and then let's deliver the story. Yeah, it's essentially like we're getting all of the, the schlocky, bad, romantic film stuff out of the way in the first ten minutes. So we can actually concentrate on making a good story. Yeah, actually, I found it was that's a good point. Like the movie didn't use any like flashbacks, no, or anything like that, like to further establish their their history, mm. which is something um, a film of this type may use. Yeah, to like go okay to you know this is their relationship, or he'd see something and then they'd have a little flashback, and you get to see them interacting together. So you, leaning they, heavily on the romance. But. Yeah, and and to really build their relationship, the fact they didn't need any of that. Means that they've written a tight yeah, story. They showed like one photo for the whole film. Yeah, they didn't like build on all like, hey, you want want some backstory, mm. which you, you do really need sometimes. But they've they've done it so effectively that they've like by top like they've made a really romantic film that mm. has like gone on to become like a, a benchmark and a hallmark in terms mm. of like pop culture. Like we you were saying in the yes. intro, like that's all you know of this. That's film all I know about it is yep. it's a romantic film and mm-hmm. pottery and things. And, but it's not, there's not much there for that. Like, they've actually just created a solid tale. Well, that's it. And um, there's only like, they barely use music as well. And like, music is often, you know, used to swell the emotions and things like that because it's extremely powerful. Mm. They really don't use it. There's, a, there's a, quite a minimal score. It's not dominant. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Maurice Jarre uh, did mm. the score, actually. He's a phenomenal um, composer. Um, but yeah, lots of very kind of drum-heavy stuff yeah. in, in his scores. Um, yeah. He it doesn't it, try to make you cry. No, it, it, it's, not, it's not manipulative. No, that's it. That's it, a good way of putting it. It, it. it uses sound design and this kind of weird, almost industrial minimalist score. Yeah. At the correct moments, like him, like you were saying, the swell of him trying to flick the bottle cap when he's learning ghost powers. That's one of the few times that music was really used. Yeah, or the montage when he's frantically searching for subway ghosts and stuff. Music kicks in. Or when it's essentially Carl chasing Oda May and Molly through the abandoned building upstairs. The action scene, essentially. They used it for the action more than they used it for the romantic or tear-jerking moment. Yeah, because I think all they really do there is like a little quiet orchestral Very swell. Like, that's yeah. it. It's not like a giant... They could, could have so easily brought back the Righteous Brothers in an instrumental or oh, something. Yeah, exactly. To like, and they could have this is when you're meant to cry. Yeah, remember this? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, they don't manipulate. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, a movie... I think maybe if they did, then they could have really aimed to try and make you cry a lot more. Mm. Um, I, I didn't ever really get a I'm going to cry now kind of feeling. No. But, um, the end was, was touching without trying to break you as a cra- as an audience member. Mm. Um, it, yeah. And as I said earlier, it's it's earned the like mm. actual... Yeah. It, it's a sincere ending that you can go for. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it's similar to Karate Kid. It's, it's like one where you're like, haven't seen in ages, but I'm like... That's just a really solid film. Yeah. It's, yeah, probably, I think, has become the butt of a lot of jokes because of that one, having it, the influence and stuff it had. Mm. But it's solid. It's, it it's, is. Yeah. It's not amazing or no, groundbreaking. I, I don't have a desire to go and watch it anytime okay. soon. But, like, look, that's after just immediately watching it. And like I said, the, 
the final third of the film really brought me back on board. Yeah. Like, I wasn't disliking it, but there were just some moments in the middle and I was like, oh, this is really straying into it, clunky territory. It didn't need to be over two hours long. No. And yeah. like, like I said, that Carl scene with this is just terrible. Yeah. It's a really bad scene. It could have been done very differently, but the majority of others are actually pretty good. Yeah. And the fact that the film lost you and then won you back is... Yeah, that's a good sign. Something. Yeah, it won me back um, quite well. Mm. So, um... Yeah, so if, if it hadn't, then I would have been like, that's a bad film. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the Carl's point, like, I'm like, oh, this is just not... This is, this is straying into weird territory. This is starting to nosedive, um, but then it just pulled out of that dive and <laughs> climbed mm. again. Um, how do you think you would have gone as a kid watching this one? I don't think I would have liked it at all. No? I don't think so. Um, slow, long... Uh, Banking espionage... Banking espionage, <laughs> couldn't care. Exactly, that's a very good point. I don't think I would have cared too much. Swayze doesn't make you like him that much. His, mm-hmm. his performance is subtle. Um, so it's not an overly like charming or charismatic role. It's actually a quite a good understated one. But I think as a kid, I wouldn't have been won over by him. Demi Moore, once again, subtle. So I wouldn't have been won over by her. Mm. Would have enjoyed Whoopi Goldberg. Yep. Carl was just a jerk and um, weird and yeah. creepy and strung out. Yeah, and strung out. So um, I don't think I would have rewatched it. Yeah. As a kid. So, so you would. Yeah, I it would have been like uh, this is a movie for adults. I don't. Yeah, care. I think so. I don't think I, I missed out by not seeing that in my childhood. Yeah. Which a lot of these other films, I feel like I really missed out <laughs> yeah, on yeah. something. This is one uh, you find that like you, you've now seen and you can yeah. be like, I know that reference. Yeah. And I'm like, I've seen that film. It's it's not bad. Yeah. Whereas others, I'm like, oh, that would have been awesome to grow up watching. <laughs> um, so it doesn't fall into that category at all. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was. Yeah, it it was. It was pretty pretty solid and yeah, a really interesting kind of uh, construction, I guess, as well. Yeah, fair enough. Um, do you want to hear a little bit of info mm-hmm. stuff? Yep. Um, I think I, I teased early on that um, why like, when I was doing the research that I was like, like, why are we doing this? Oh, this is why. Yep. Um, so the film had a budget of $22 million uh-huh. and it went on to gross $505.7 <laughs> million. <laughs> yeah, that's what shirts off will do for you. Uh, at the Worldwide Box Office. Adjusted for inflation, that's nearly a billion dollars. <laughs> what? It made adjusted for inflation $988.7 million. That is a roaring success. It was the highest grossing film of 1990 globally. Wow. Um, yeah, it was... It's huge. That's massive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it beat previous films we've done on the show, Home Alone, which was number two, mm-hmm. uh, Back to the Future Part 3, which was number six, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which was number nine. Yeah, that was number nine. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> which was, the, I think it was like the most successful independent film ever yeah, at that point. That's yeah, that's right. But yeah, this was wow. made all the money. I, I, I knew it would have made some of the money. Yeah. But um, the fact that this beat Home Alone at yes, the box office. That's very true. That's huge. Yeah, because Home Alone's family film, like. Yeah. And, and Christmas theme. And Christmas. Like, yeah. Double banger. Um, yeah, that just kind of goes to show how much people dug this film. Yeah. Uh, it was nominated for five Academy Awards. Really? Okay. Including right. Best Picture. Yeah, okay, interesting. Best Editing. Yeah. Best Original Score. Mm-hmm. And it won Best Original Screenplay. Okay. <laughs> and Best Supporting Actress for Whoopi Goldberg. Okay. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, it was nominated for four Golden Globes, Best Picture, Musical or Comedy, uh, with Swayze and Moore both earning Best Actor and Actress nominations, mm-hmm. while Whoopi won Best Supporting Actress. Yep. Uh, it also won the BAFTA for Best Supporting Actress, 
And the film was nominated for uh, Best Makeup, Best Screenplay, and Best Visual Effects. Yep. It won three Saturn Awards uh, for Best Film, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, mm-hmm. and was nominated for a WGA Award for Best Screenplay. Wow. Uh, so Whoopi Goldberg became the first actress to win Best Supporting Actress in, at the Academy Awards, the BAFTAs, and the Golden Globes for That's her. massive. This. I mean, I, I guess I sometimes forget... That she's an EGOT. That she's an EGOT. Yeah. Um, and that um, how massive she was in the 90s. Yeah, well, that's be- really because of... Like, this film was huge. Yeah. She won every award, essentially, for it. Yeah. And from, the, I think, post this was then 92 was Sister Act. Yeah, so it's like, that sounds about right. Yeah. Were there two or three Sister Acts? Uh, two. Yep. Sister Act and then Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Uh, yep. <laughs> that is the correct response to that subtitle. <laughs> Thanks, Dad, for that joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so this film was a massive, massive hit and yep. loved by a lot of people, including yeah. the Academy. So Yeah, okay. And it's one where, like, having rewatched it, and I'm like, okay, original screenplay. I, I understand yes. why. Yep, no, enough of it is... Um is, is good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do you want a little bit of alternate casting? Yes. All right. So, um, yeah, when it came to casting, um, basically uh, the writer, Bruce Joel Rubin, was the one that suggested Swayze for the role. Um, okay. He was initially just like, he didn't really, he wanted, sorry, why he wanted Swayze for the role is that he saw an interview that Swayze gave uh, and when his, uh, Swayze's dad was brought up in the interview, Swayze burst into tears because he'd like recently passed. And so it was like, oh. oh, wow, this macho guy can actually cry over a loved one. Like, this is yeah, okay. kind of perfect. Like, yep. it's kind of superficially yeah. kind of reasons, but it's like, okay. oh, the guy from Roadhouse actually has a heart. Yeah. This is interesting. I guess, it, I don't know what the modern day equivalent would be, just be like seeing The Rock just burst into tears and st- just an interview with and actually Allen. and you'd be like okay wow I can connect with that like yeah, yeah. so it's, um, Jerry Zucker felt that Swayze was completely wrong for the part but um, uh, they decided to audition Swayze and uh, they um, he just nailed it and yep. so yeah he got the part initially uh, beating out uh, people including uh, Kevin Bacon the Bacon uh, Alec Baldwin imagine how different the pottery scene would have been if Bacon was in it uh, the pants would have come off it, th- I'm literally going to say anyone on this list, with the exception of maybe one or two, okay. it would be weird. So you got Kevin Bacon. Yep. Weird. Yep. Alec Baldwin. Weird. Uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Nicolas Cage. Ooh. Weird. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> got his ghost role later on. <laughs> yeah. City of Angels comes yep. back. Uh, Kevin Costner. Oh, gosh. Imagine that. Tom Cruise. I just... No. It's... See, I was actually thinking during the film, Tom Cruise would have made a good Carl. Oh, okay. I was actually that thinking been... that during the film. I'm like, you know, he would have been good because he, Tom Cruise can act. Yeah. And at that time he could properly act. Yeah, this is like right around Rain Man time. Yeah, and yeah. he'd be a good little charming sleazebag. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, Carl... He wouldn't have, un- but he wouldn't have taken the fourth build role. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, he would not have. Yeah. Um, whereas <laughs> Carl, though, um, what's his face? Um, Tony Goldwyn. Tony, that's it. Um... Did the subtly, slowly unhinged role actually... The slow descent into madness, like, pretty well. Um, This is the one that I think could work, Harrison Ford. Yeah. He's a little bit too old, though. Yeah. Yeah. But as it, like, he'd just make a good, like, passive observer. (laughs) Yeah. Mel Gibson. Weird. I'm not sure about that. Tom Hanks. eh. (sighs) I reckon he could do it. 
Yeah. He can I mean, Hanks is great, anything. but he's, yeah. he's just too lovable. Yeah, he's too Tom Hanks. <laughs> um, I'll save this one for the end because it's weird. Um, <laughs> then you've got like a couple of other ones like Kevin Klein, Dennis Quaid, mm-hmm. uh, John Travolta, yep. uh, Bruce Willis because he was married to Demi Moore at the of time. Of course, yeah. Uh, this super weird one of Mickey Rourke. <laughs> Yeah, okay. But the weirdest, weirdest one is Paul Hogan. Oh, imagine that. Okay. Okay, because Crocodile Dundee was not long before that. Yeah, and Paul Hogan, for some reason, was a movie star. (laughs) A really big movie star. Yeah, he's a big deal. Um, Hogan liked the idea, but wanted to make it a flat-out comedy. Of course he did. And they were like, "Uh, no, we're right, thanks. (laughs) And so he went on and made his own version called Almost an Angel that came out the same year. Oh, no, in competition. Yep. How'd it go? Not great, <laughs> but um, it's an interesting, weird, terrible film. <laughs> Did he get sued for stealing the storyline? No, because they were, like, laughing to the bank. <laughs> yeah. Ghost were like, we're fine. We made... <laughs> How'd yours go, Paul? Yeah, we made half a billion dollars. <laughs> How are you going? I'm an angel. You're an angel. They're the ones that come back to Earth to do good deeds and stuff. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, I just found that so interesting that How Paul, intriguing. like the the sheer arrogance and hubris of like, no, nah, I'll do it, but we make it a comedy. I'll, no, well, I'll do it anyway. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> like that. You know, you know, you know. It's like Bender. <laughs> I'll go start my own casino. <laughs> I'm going to go build my own theme park with blackjack and hookers. In fact, Forget the park! <laughs> I, I, good on him in a way. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't mean I like the guy much, but um, <laughs> stick to your guns yeah. and take a risk. <laughs> um, there was also similar, a huge laundry list of women who were considered for the role of Molly. Um, Kim Bassinger, uh, Gina Davis, Helen Hunt, Nicole Kidman, mm-hmm. uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Andy McDowell, uh, Molly Ringwald, weirdly. Oh, yeah, I uh, could see Andy McDowell doing it for some yeah. reason. Michelle Pfeiffer, Deborah Winger, yep. Meg oh, Ryan. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, Madonna is the kind of weird standout yeah. one there. She often got thrown out in like. I think this is, this is, I think, maybe a year or two post a League of Their Own and things. Oh, so, yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, there were also uh, two people considered f- um, who went up for the role of Oda Mae Brown uh, Tina Turner. <laughs> yes, straight out of Thunderdome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Oprah Winfrey. Oh, really? Yeah, of course. Because she acted actually she... with um, Whoopi in Colour Purple. Yes, I do so... remember that when I... Because I learned about Colour Purple a while ago. I still haven't seen it. Mm. Um, I was like, what? Oprah was in it. Yeah. <laughs> Oprah used to be an actress? Yes. Yeah. Is that where she came from? And now she just is the ruler of all. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody. It's weird, though, if you think about it. Whoopi's kind of now had the same trajectory. Yeah. Well, she's just on the view. Like, I kind of wish Whoopi would go back to either stand-up or acting. And I know. I always, like, when, when I watch films like this, I always think, man, imagine if Whoopi had just stuck with acting. Yeah. Like, like flat out. The, the weird thing was, I watched her Oscar acceptance speech, and... It's a really nice little speech, but she says in it, I'll, I'll drop it in now. I want to thank everybody who makes movies. I come from New York. As a little kid, I lived in the projects. And you're the people I watched. You're the people wanted, made me want to be an actor. I'm so proud to be here. I'm proud to be an actor. And I'm going to keep on acting. And thank you so much. Yeah. It's... She's kind of contradicted that I guess now. she grew out of it. Yeah. Like, it must be, it'd be fascinating to know what, what 
I mean, everybody's life plans change in certain ways. Yeah. It's fascinating to know why she took a different direction. I mean, it's not as though she's not successful and she's her opinions really count. Yeah, um, maybe it's like, I'm, I'm done with that now. I just yeah, want to hang out and... Although I've seen a few of her, not as I follow up closely, but I have seen a few of her... Um, she's a pretty powerful person and people listen. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So I've seen a couple of her quite strong... Um, I'm not going to call them rants, but I don't have a better word for it. Um, so maybe she's trying to use that platform to... Get some ideas. Advocate and things like that. Yeah, um, I, I do remember like years and years, like I'm talking like 15, oh mm. God, close to 20 years ago now, her stumping, like kind of spruiking for Harry Potter. Yes. When only the first book had come out and no one really knew it. Yeah. She like used like her position to be like, these are wonderful books for kids, get them yeah. for your kids and read them. And it was like the first book had just yeah. come out and... Like, I was just like, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and then Harry Potter went on to become it, it, Harry Potter. Yeah, what, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm like, Whoopi, you, you got your finger on the pulse, man. Yeah, it's a funny one because you don't really hear from her much in Australia, of course. You know, no, like we, the view's on, but it doesn't ha- affect us all. At all. Yeah. Like the issues are not, they're interesting. We've got our own crappy today shows. Yeah, we've got our own, <laughs> exactly right, our own junk to watch if we choose to. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the view. I've never watched it. It may not be junk. I'm not sure. But yeah, yes. Um, unless we got anything else, that'll probably wrap us up for Ghost. I think we've covered Ghost pretty well. I think so as well. Uh, which means it's time to pick our next film. Yep. So, picking out of the hat. So, next episode. Oh, come on. My Girl. Okay. I know nothing about My Girl. Yep. It's in there because of Claire. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's the nice, I mean, we have a lot of, you know, young boy films mm. and action films, so it's nice to balance it out with something like, you know, a, a Pretty in Pink or a My Girl, like. Well, that's it, and particularly, like I've said, a lot of the films I did watch growing up were ones that, like, I'd watch with my sisters, because, mm. you know, if we went to the video store, it'd be me and my two sisters. And, so it's not just, yeah. You know, it wasn't just, or like, I mean, obviously, I'd have sleepovers with mates and things like that, and then we'd get more boyish films, I guess. Yeah. I'd probably just play video games, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, hence why I miss so many films. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm intrigued by My Girl, because mm. um, that one just, I guess, being the oldest, maybe if I was the youngest, this would have been a big one. This might have been something yeah, that kind of because it was early it. 90s, late 80s. Mm, I think like 93, like it's just, it's like in between Home Alone 1 and 2, I believe. Yeah. So. so exactly, if I'd had an older sister, I'm sure I would have seen it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, nice. Well, this uh, could be an interesting one, because I have not seen it for... Probably 20 years as well. As well. <laughs> Fabulous. So, yeah, <laughs> at least. So um, I guess uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and tune in in a fortnight's time when we uh, discuss My Girl. Um, but other than that, uh, we are really... I know we say this a bit, but we are really approaching the end of the, uh, the selection of films for this season. So if you have any uh, ideas or like any films yeah. that you grew up on or that are kind of classics that you think Eric might have missed out on, Please do send us an email at uh, haven'tseenpod at gmail.com or let me know on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at CriterionQuest. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm thinking right now we have to put Roadhouse in there. Yeah, I was honestly thinking <laughs> we need to continue the Swayze going. Yeah, so if anyone can think of a better Swayze that they feel I should watch or another Swayze. No, there is no better Swayze than yeah. Roadhouse. So um, I'd still be intrigued to yeah. hear some arguments, but uh, Roadhouse is... Seeming like a very strong suggestion it's, to go in there. It's pretty amazing. So. I'm, pretty, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> um, but yeah, so again, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, and I guess we'll see you in a fortnight's time for My Girl. For this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Eric. Catch you next time.
Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library.